The text before us comes from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says here, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. They have come together in this upper room. The disciples are there with Jesus. Jesus is um, just a very short period of time away from being betrayed, um, being arrested, and just a few hours later, he'll go to the cross. We've been looking at this particular section of Scripture and just recognizing the heart of our God as he's there in the final hours of his life and the way in which he's ministering to these dear disciples who are there with him. Began by him washing their feet washing their feet, and, and them, Peter, just saying, like, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus gently rebuking him and, and telling them that, um, that that must happen, um, or he would have no place with, with Christ. And, and you think of a time together like that, and some of the things that took place, we're talking a very short period of time, and these, these guys have, have heard once again that the Lord... Is going away. Um, they've been told that one of the twelve is a betrayer. He's gonna he's gonna betray Christ. They've been told that Peter, the one that's the the loudest, the one that's somewhat the leader, the one that that they all have grown to love and to respect, that Peter will deny Christ three times before the rooster crows twice. They've heard these things and their hearts are troubled. They're hearing these things and there's a lot that's taken place just even in the last hour that they've been here at this particular time this, this, with the Lord. And Jesus in chapter 14 begins by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And we looked at that last week. But now we come to a place of him just glorifying the Father. And that glorifying of the Father is a comfort to the disciples. In these chapters, what you're going to find is Jesus comforting them. Comforting them and ministering to their weary hearts. But once again this morning, let's look and see how he does that. He has just said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And following that incredible verse, he says, and our text begins this morning, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. You know the Father. Well, the disciples respond, and Philip speaks up and says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. Lord, would you show us the Father? Show us, show us him. I think that Philip, when he, he says this, he's looking back and saying, I, I, we, we want to we see something like what, like what Moses saw. We, we want to see the Father. We want to see his glory. We want to be able to see something spectacular. Show us, Lord, please show us the Father. And it will be sufficient for us. That's all we want to see. Just show us the Father. And Jesus responds by saying, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? When you think of Philip's idea of, of, of the Father, of wanting to see God, he's, he's speaking this saying, I, I want to see something amazing. I want to see something like Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6 where the train of his robe filled the temple. Show us something spectacular. Show us the Father. We want to see just a little bit of his glory. Just like Moses came down and his face was still glowing. Show us the Father. We heard about the transfiguration and, and Peter, James, and John. They were able to see you being transfigured. But we're asking now, would you show us the Father? For many of us, we look and think of meeting God face to face. The wonder of of being able to be in heaven and being able to see him and to be able to see his glory and to be able to see him there on his throne and the rainbow around his throne and thunderings and lightnings that are coming forth from the throne. To be able to, to be with him and to be able to see him like that and the awe of being able to see the Father. Being able to see Christ. But God is declaring to us something spectacular here in this passage. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? You know me. We've spent the last three years together. Have I not been with you this much time, these last three years, and you don't yet know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how Can you say, show us the Father? If you've looked at me, Christ says, you've seen the Father. You've seen him. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When we picture Christ here on earth, and we read through the Gospels and see all that he has done, It is important for us to come to a place of realizing when we look upon Christ, we see all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We see God in who he is, his character. 
In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he is the express image of his person, the brightness of his glory. When you look upon Christ, you see the Father. It goes on in verse 10 to say, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus is the one who, John had said earlier, the only begotten, he is the one that declares the Father. His life declares the Father. Jesus had said, I and my Father are one. And they understood exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones right after that to throw at him. Jesus had said, he who, is see, he, he who sees me sees him who sent me. It's over and over again in Scripture where you see that Jesus is saying, when you look at me, you see the Father. When you look at me, you see the character of the Father. You see the glory of the Father when you look at me. When the disciples looked at Christ, when they served with Christ, when they journeyed with Christ, when they ministered with him, they were with the only living and true God of the universe. And it's amazing to think about. When they're told his name should be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. It was this picture to all of the people that the one that was coming to earth was the express image of the Godhead, fullness, fullness of his deity, being in a place of us seeing God. And for us, this should cause our hearts to come to a place of just praising him. Being the, the disciples and looking at the course of Jesus' life or being one of his brothers or being his mom, seeing all that has taken place, us going through and reading through the gospel accounts, we're able to look at the heart, the nature of our God. To be able to think that the way that our God came to earth was there in the Virgin Mary. He's born in a stable because there's no room for him in the inn. And he's laid there in a in a manger, hay that's there, animals that are all around. We, we here, we, we pick hospitals as far as like, where are we going to go to have our kids be born? You may base it off of how big the rooms are or the reputation of the hospital. We, we base it off of who had the best ice. really did. But we, we, we looked on oh, the hospital's got amazing ice. Same ice that we have here at the church. It, it's amazing. We're going there. Um, 
we, we pick places to go as far as like, which one has the best doctors? Which one is the cleanest? Which one seems the nicest? Which one's closest to home? Which one has the nicest restaurants that are around it so that dads can go get food? Which ones do we go to? Where do we pick? And you think of the way in which God comes. It's not he's born in this incredible castle and he's got just royalty all around him and he's just pampered throughout the entirety of his life. Now he's, he's born in a stable because there's no room for him in the end. He's laid in a manger. The character of our God is such that he humbled himself. The contrast of him spending eternity in glory and perfect fellowship with the Father, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead being there for all eternity and him becoming a man and coming and lying there in a manger. Just It shows us the heart of our God. When Jesus was here on earth, as these disciples watched him, they saw perfect purity. I mean, absolute perfect purity. You see, Jesus say things like, for I always do do those things that please the Father. Always. Or 2 Corinthians where he says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took him who knew no sin. Never had he ever sinned. Peter says, in looking at the prophecy that was given of Christ, he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews tells us he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And so when Jesus lived amongst the disciples for those three years and throughout the entirety of his life, Perfect, perfect purity. Never at any point did he sin. And Jesus is saying, have you not known me, Philip? When you look at me, you see the Father. Fathers without sin. We see perfect and unsearchable wisdom. That is what they listen to. The disciples, when they listen to him, perfect and unsearchable wisdom. Matthew tells us that the people, after hearing the sayings of Jesus, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He had perfect wisdom in all things. He was one who displayed his almighty power. And they watched that. Have you not been with me? Have you not known me, Philip? Jesus We're told in Matthew 8 that there's this great tempest that arose on the sea and the boat's being covered with the waves and Jesus is there sleeping and the disciples wake him up saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. We're perishing. And Jesus says to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And so the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? just radical have you not known me philip i just i say it i can just say the word and the winds and the sea they just obey me they go still it goes calm i command nature matthew 15 tells us that there's this great multitude great multitudes came to him 
having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, and the maimed made whole, and the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. They're just looking upon him, and he's taking people that can't see, people that can't talk, people that can't hear, people that can't walk, and healing them completely, taking hands that are withered and making them whole, people that have lost their nose or their ears or their fingers from leprosy and just making them complete again and bringing all of those appendages back to them immediately, taking people who were blind from birth and making them able to see or taking people who had been lame for decades and making them able to walk. Have you not known me, Philip? Watch what I do. Watch how I live. You've seen me. You've seen the heart of the Father. You've seen the Father. You take a man that's covered with leprosy and him calling out, I know, I know that you can make me clean. I know you could do it. As people are so prone to throw rocks at these lepers and yell at them, force them out of their communities. If you're willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and he just touches them. That nobody had touched him. Nobody had touched him from the time that he knew that he had leprosy, apart from the lepers. He's living in a leper colony and Jesus is saying, I'm, just gonna, I'm displaying to you the heart of the Father. I'll go out and I'll touch the leper and I'll just reach out and I'll, I'll touch him and say, I'm willing to be cleansed and have him be immediately cleansed. Mark tells us that the people were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They saw it. They saw it within Christ as he was here. The Godhead. They saw the love of God. In the course of the life of Christ, the disciples were able to see unconditional love. Watching Christ go and call them from being fishermen or call them from being tax collectors or call them from whatever it was that they were doing and bring them to him and then watch him go and minister to the people and weep over the people and care for the people and love the downcast and minister to people that, that were so harsh towards him, loving them. And when you see that, you see the Father. If, if, if you want to know what God is like, I mean, take it a few hours further on and you're going to see the Father being glorified in the Son even more so when Christ is there and he's hanging on the cross. And he's taking the sins of the people upon himself. The righteous is dying for the unrighteous. He's becoming sin for us. The one who knew no sin is becoming sin for us and they're plucking out his beard and punching his face. They're nailing him to a cross after being whipped 39 times. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. They're casting lots for his clothing. He's having to push up on a nail even to take a breath. He's next to two criminals. And Jesus is saying things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
He's becoming sin for them. He's taking the wrath that we deserve upon himself. And you see the heart of the Father. You you see a, a God who displays himself in such a way that there could be no doubt for us for all eternity as far as the love of God. God's not in a, a God that the heathen refer to, one in, in, in whom he just is consumed with our works, us obeying all kinds of laws, us trying to build up good karma, us trying to come back reincarnated as something greater and keep working and keep working and coming back and trying to eventually reach some state of bliss or moksha. or That's not the God of this universe. He's not a God that says, if, if you would just do all of these things, then maybe I'll let you into my kingdom. Or if you would just do all of these things, maybe I'll let you just cease to exist. He's not like that. He's a God who says, there's nothing that you can do. Your your righteousness is like filthy rags in my sight. You've all sinned. You've all fallen short. There's nothing that you could do to earn my favor. It's impossible for you to do anything. You could take all of your righteousness, a lifetime of righteousness, do everything good that you could possibly do, and it's still going to be filthy rags in my sight. And yet... I will come, I'll I'll send my son, he'll fulfill all righteousness, he'll fulfill it all, he'll he'll pay a price that, that you cannot pay, he'll die on the cross so that that your sins placed upon him and his righteousness is placed upon you, and then I'll just I'll give you all of his righteousness through faith in him. And you'll spend eternity in heaven. It's the heart of God. When I think of the God of the Bible, I I think, how can he be improved upon? He can't. And if, if, if I were in heaven and I tried my hardest not to kill roly-polies and, and I, I did everything I could to build up as as much karma as I could possibly build up, and I just did it. I did everything. I obeyed all the rules. I did everything. Or I I obeyed the five pillars of Islam, and I I did all of it. I was like the most intense of of all of them as far as obeying the Quran. I did all of it, and I, I got there. I got to heaven, and their version of heaven is much different than ours anyhow. But let's just say that we got there. And they say, why should you be allowed to be here? If my response is like, well, I, I got reincarnated like 28,000 times and I, I worked really hard over all of those years and finally now like I, I did enough. I think I did enough now. Yeah, I, can I enter in? Or I, I said these prayers and I did these every day and I fasted like this and I... I made this pilgrimage, and I, here's all the things that I did. Here's my list of all of it. Is this, I, I think it's enough. Um, 
I would know, like, even in the midst of doing all those things, there's still so much sin inside my heart. But to think of a God who is in heaven, who says, why should I allow you into my kingdom? And your response is, there is nothing in me. I'm such a sinner. It's all because of grace. It's all because your son lived a perfectly righteous life. He died for my sins. My faith and my hope is in nothing that I could ever muster up, but it is all in the fact that he lived a perfect life and he took my sins upon himself and my faith is only in him. That's the only way. You see a love that is displayed where God says, enter into the joy of the Lord. And we will praise him. For all eternity, we'll praise him. Like, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor. You did it. You, I'm here because of you. you. God, sovereign God of the universe, you did everything to enable me to get here. Not, yes, I finally did enough. I finally won. I finally got there. I finally lived enough lives and did enough good. I finally got there. It's not about us. It's one in whom we give him all the glory for eternity and eternity and eternity. And so when you look at Christ upon the cross, you see the love of God just displayed. You see the heart of the Father. They saw in Christ abounding grace. John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And the Word, verse 14 says, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when he's talking about you... You look upon Christ, and what do you see? You see him full of grace and truth. That's what we find in the Son, and it glorifies the Father. You're able to see the grace and the truth that is there in God the Father. We see in him, and we experience firsthand incredible mercy. We see in him patience and long-suffering that only God possesses. In Exodus 34, where you see God... Come and he says, it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. We look at that in Exodus chapter 4, and then we just see it just displayed in Christ, in his life. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin. You're able to see, you're able to see the Father in Christ. Through the life of Christ, he, he grants life to people. In John five twenty six, it says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Christ had life in himself. We find it in, in John chapter 11 where Martha's there and Jesus says, take away the stone. And, and they say about Lazarus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus says to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And it tells us that Jesus goes from there and cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what does he do? He comes forth. Takes Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, and speaks life into him. And Jesus is saying, when you saw me do that, you saw the Father. Because in the same way, the Father 
speaks life into all of his creation. He does that. This is what we do. This is what the Godhead does. We speak life into him. There's nothing that's too hard for us. We're able to make those that are dead come to life again. And Jesus is saying, have you not seen me, Philip? Don't you know me? They saw infinite goodness in him. They saw blessedness that only God possesses. And so when Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? If you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to know what the Godhead is like, if you want to know who it is that you will stand before for all eternity, before him and and then be with for all eternity, just look at the sun. You see him. You see him displayed. You see him displayed in such a way that it makes us adore him and love him and just long to be with him. If your image in your mind of who God is, is is one that just lets everybody into heaven eventually and this is how it all works out. That's not who Christ is in Scripture. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. If you don't believe in him, the wrath of God abides on you. That will be on you. His wrath will be on you. You want to see the heart of the Father look at Christ and just see him where you might be in a place of, I think I... I think I did one too many things. I think I sinned one too many times. There's a chance that, I mean, I, I promised him that I would never do that sin again, and then I did. I did that sin again, and what's going to happen to me? And I, I think maybe I got kicked out of the kingdom, and the things that should come into your mind is Christ, where he'll say things like, how many times do you forgive? Seventy times seven, I say forgive him. What do you say? Where, where sin bounds, abounds, grace abounds more. What do we find in the life of Christ? I hold you in my hand, and my Father, who's greater than all, holds you in his hand, and there's no one that can snatch you away. Neither shall you ever perish. You won't perish. And so when you want to know what God is like, you look at Christ, and you're able to be in a place of, okay, so if that's what the Father's like, then he wasn't kind of hoping that I, I wouldn't commit that, that last sin. I, I made him a promise, but if I did sin in that way, it didn't take him by surprise, and he tells us that his grace abounds. There's no one that can snatch you out of his hand. You're able to look at Christ and be able to see his character to where you know the Father, you see the Father. Jesus says to them, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. The works themselves display it, but my words are telling you, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and when you see me, you see the Father. I and my Father are one. We are together. When you're looking at me right now, Philip, when you're looking at me right now, disciples, you have with you the God of this universe. You're able to know him. He's not a God that's afar off. He's a God that's near at hand, and he has come, and he has dwelt amongst you, and he is with you, and he is fulfilling all righteousness, and he is going to take 
your sin upon himself in the wrath that you deserve. So look at him. When we think of this, it, it should bring our hearts to a place of comfort and it should bring our hearts to a place of just praise and adoration. If you go from thinking of God as this majestic God that is so far away, he doesn't even care at all about you, he maybe doesn't even think about you, you're just a speck in this universe, to come into the place of if you look at Christ, you see the Father, they're one, and then you see him just coming amongst us, being born in a stable and laid in a manger and living with us and loving the disciples and ministering to them, caring for them and dying for them and then rising again on the third day, just like he said. He comes to a place of, that's our God. That's the one that I get to spend eternity with. When I'm praising him for all eternity, it's because he's worthy of that praise. Being a little kid, I used to ask, my parents frequently like, what's heaven going to be like? What's it like? What's it going to be like? I want to know what it's like. So they would go through and just describe heaven to me as I would lay on my bed getting ready to fall asleep. Streets of gold, pearly gates. In my mind, it was, there's harps. We're singing. There's angels that are around. There's no darkness. There's no need for the sun because he shines in his glory. And I would think about this and I said, well, do you sleep? Do you ever sleep? And they're like, no, there's no need for sleep. And I, I remember being a little kid, just thinking, well, I like sleep a lot. <laughs> but also thinking, I think I might, I think I might get bored there. Like after a while, it, I mean, it kind of sounds boring after a while. And we sing a lot, like we're going to be singing a lot. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, it sounds like it might be kind of boring until you come to a place of seeing the God in whom you'll be spending eternity with. We will forever be in a place of worshiping him because we've seen the character of our God. Have you ever thought, like, why not just, like, have God not have sin, not have death, like, forget the tree that's in the garden, like, make it so that we all just get born in heaven, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's none of that, we're just all in heaven. And I, I, there's times, like, that where that seemed, would seem pretty good. And yet, God is about glorifying himself. The Father is about glorifying himself through the Son. And the things in which we worship him for are the things in which Christ has displayed to us. Isn't it? When you worship him, you worship him for things like, I was running away from you and yet you called me. I was in all of these sins and you brought me out of it. I was going into eternity for, going in a direction of eternity in hell and yet you saved me. You, you took my sin upon yourself. You, you give me your righteousness. You seal me with your Holy Spirit. You make it so that I'm adopted into your family. You can make it so I get to spend eternity in this place that you've prepared for me. You've done this. I don't deserve any of it in the reason in which we love him most is because of the way in which he has displayed himself to us and his heart to us and his character to us in a fallen and perverse world. 
Believe, he says to the disciples. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Believe me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Do the disciples end up believing? Absolutely. They believed and they proclaimed the gospel until they died. Most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. The disciples did great works, without a doubt. Um, Acts chapter 5 tells us that the, at the hand, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Verse 12. Um, verse 15, so... So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, and that that at, at that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them, and also a great multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So, without a doubt, the disciples did great things. Are they greater than the things that Jesus did when he was here? I think that could be heavily argued through all the miracles that you see in the New Testament with Scripture, um, describing people being brought to life and all the healings in which Christ did. I think for us sometimes we think that the greatest things are making someone that's blind able to see or making someone that's lame able to walk. Like We look at that as just like absolutely incredible to be able to see people healed from infirmities and diseases. But when Jesus says, there's greater things that you're going to do, I think that largely it's referring to the spiritual side of what God's doing. These disciples were going to go and proclaim the gospel. They were going to go and proclaim the gospel, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but even to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus had these followers that were following after him and He was about to go to the cross, but we're not talking about like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We're talking about a very small group of people that were followers of Christ that departed from him when he went to the cross. But they were going to be, these disciples were going to be gifted with the Holy Spirit and and they were going to go and they were going to proclaim the gospel. And we're told in Acts chapter 2 that those that received the word were baptized and on that day about 3,000 souls were added to them preaching the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. Well, what is a bigger deal to have a guy that's been blind from birth being made able to see, or to have 3,000 people who were dead in their sins and trespasses made alive and having hearts that were once hearts of stone being turned into hearts of flesh and once who were once, were once enemies of him are now made his children and they've been washed of every sin they've ever committed or ever will commit and they'll spend eternity with Christ 3,000 getting saved at one time. We're told that these people were together and that the Lord was adding to the church daily those who are being saved. They're just daily people are getting saved. Acts 4.4 says, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men that came, the number of men came to be about 5,000 in Acts chapter 4. People were getting saved and being radically transformed. And so when it tells us here in, in, in this section that most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. 
I think some of those greater works are just even in the proclamation of the gospel and seeing people come to know Christ. Not that we're to be the ones that are to go out and like raising people from the dead and doing all kinds of stuff. I think the apostles had incredible power and authority to, to give them that kind of authority. And we see God work in miraculous ways all the time today. And he still heals and he still does incredible things. But some of the greatest things are when we proclaim the gospel and people get saved. And so Jesus says, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's comforting these disciples saying, whatever you ask, I'm going to leave. But whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be exalted through me. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amazing words from our Lord. Pray. Pray. He's calling them, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. When he says in my name, in Jesus' name, we pray in Jesus' name because we're followers of Christ. Our identity is in him. We belong to him. The only reason why we have access to God in prayer is because of the work of Christ. We also pray in the name of of Jesus because we're praying for his perfect will, praying for those things which would bring most glory to Christ. Pray for anything in my name. And that doesn't mean just like, well, I want a million dollars or I want that. It's praying according to his name, according to his will in our lives. Lord, I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. I pray in your name. I pray because my authority to even call upon you is because of what Christ has done for me. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things and we ask these things and we pray for your wisdom and what you desire. And God says, I'll give you anything. Just pray in my name according to my will. Does prayer work? Absolutely it does. I mean, God calls upon us over and over again in Scripture to pray. I have sat with some of you in hospital beds, and we prayed for you, and God heals you just miraculously. And there's been other times where he did not. But we serve a God that has the ability to heal like that. We serve a God who has the ability to answer prayer. And the sovereign God of this universe works. He chooses to work through the prayers of the saints. And he does. And so Jesus here, as he's ministering to the disciples at this particular time and these final hours of his life, tells us, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Believe me, he says. You're going to do greater works than these. Proclaim the gospel. Work through prayer. And if you ask anything, I'll do it. His ministry to them is, I have displayed the Father to you, and now I will be with you, and I will be here to hear you and to answer you. Just pray in my name. For us as his people today, that should be a great comfort to us. You want to see the Father? Look at Christ. Look at him. Behold him. And have it stir your hearts to just praise him. Do you need help during this time? Call upon him. Pray to him. Depend on him. He's not far away. He's near. He hears your prayers 
and he'll answer anything as you call to him in his name. And let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord God, we just hold these things up to you, Lord, and we just, we pray, Lord, that we would meditate on the way in which you have displayed yourself through the pages of Scripture to bring us to a place of just adoring you and loving you and depending on you and finding all of our hope in you, Lord. I pray that the revelation of who the God of this universe is through the gift of his son would bring great comfort to us, his people, this morning. You've shown us the Father. You've shown us the Father in a way that's greater than even Moses being placed in the cleft of the rock, Lord. You've shown us so much about who you are through Christ. And may that cause us to be in awe of you and to worship you with all that is within us. We pray this in Jesus' name.